Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So you might as well just come out and say what you're, what's your feeling at some point in time, because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Spartans. It is Tuesday, October first. It's October. What the hell is going on? It is October first. 2019, I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning into another episode of Locked on Spartans. I think I already said that. Yeah, I already said that. Um, on today's show, I'm just crushing it so far. On today's show, uh, Connor Hayward has entered the NCAA transfer portal. I'll give you my thoughts on that and then the rest of the running back situation as, you know, I think we're getting to a point where roles are really carved out and defined uh, and, you know, I think Michigan State's in a pretty good spot with its back. So we'll talk uh, about that. After that, I want to talk a little bit about Brian Lewerke. Um, do a little bit of a quick segment because third segment, we've got Stephen Brooks from 24-7 Sports coming on. Uh, and we went a little long and uh, just had a really good conversation with him about a bunch of stuff. So uh, he makes a wonderful uh, comparison with uh, that game and something else. I don't want to spoil it, but it's funny. Um, so he's coming on third segment. So that's the plan for today's show. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing to the podcast is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about Connor Hayward. Okay, so Connor Hayward doesn't dress for Michigan State on Saturday. Uh it hadn't been really publicly reported a ton, but he was very unhappy with how things had been playing out, as you could reasonably expect when you're a junior coming into the season. You think, you know, you're the lead guy, the running back, and then a redshirt freshman comes in and takes all your carries. And, you know, it was uh, a situation that Michigan State kind of tried to manage. Uh, Hayward was still playing some. They wanted to you know, use him, I think, and I'll talk about in a minute, you know, there was different ways that he could have been so effective on this team. And I think they were kind of trying to discover that and figure that out while realizing and playing that, you know, Eli Collins was the lead back. If someone was going to get 17 to 20 carries, it was going to be Elijah Collins. Anyone else was going to get one, two, three, maybe four carries. And, you know, that's how it played out. And Hayward uh, decided that that was not what he wanted to do. Um, I'm not sure if there was discussion of position change at all. He's already done that before. Uh, he may be at a point where he just wants to be the running back that he is and doesn't want to change positions. I'm not sure. Like I said, if that was uh, approached at all, but he misses the game Saturday. D'Antonio says it was for personal reasons. My best guess is because he had played four games uh, and was intent on transferring that they set him out to 
or he said he wasn't going to play, whatever, the, the agreement that they came to. It's not really a unilateral decision. I'm sure there was some back and forth on this that he wasn't going to play. And the way D'Antonio just kind of is, I would think he probably said, all right, you're not going to play uh, this weekend. We're going to have you out this weekend. And then you can sort of sit at home and watch and just make sure that this is the decision that you're going to make. And after the game, he said uh, when he was talking about it, just kind of vaguely, he wasn't getting into specifics, but, you know, he was saying, guys, think they um, the best chance for them to play is somewhere else. The best chance for them to succeed and move forward with their career is somewhere else. And he's not going to you know, hold them back. And I think that's the appropriate way. Like if someone doesn't want to be with the team, you can't force them to be with the team because that's not going to uh, go well. That's how you turn into or you get guys who are unhappy and he's just not the the way the appropriate way to handle it and I don't think it's very fair uh if, to the player either if the player wants to go you let him go uh and so I think Hayward probably sat out uh, took some time to make sure that this was the decision he wanted to make came to that decision uh and entered his name into the portal and it sucks that it, it couldn't work out I know a lot of people were really down on Hayward and um I think the position he was put in in terms of being a lead tailback was not the best spot for him to succeed. He's someone who has shown the ability to catch the ball, be a good route runner, be uh, an effective runner in open space, and someone who can make plays. Um, and I thought, you know, as a tight end type, an H-back, third down-ish, someone who can be moved in and out uh, different spots, try to find mismatches, I thought there was still a spot for him. And this team to be an effective sort of bit player, a, a good role player. Uh, and that's just not, you know, what came to fruition. And now that... He is gone. He's in, in in the transfer portal. Intent on transferring is what he said. Um, you know, we can sort of disclude him from the running back group right now. And what you're left with is Eli Collins is the obvious lead back. Uh, they've been using him a lot of different ways, which is cool. They go 11 empty a lot, one tight end, one running back, but empty formation with a tight end split out and the running back split out. And Eli does a really good job there. So he's uh, proving himself to be a good, versatile back who can run between the tackles, get outside, make people miss, break tackles, catch the ball, get yards after the catch. And I don't think there's any mystery or anything breaking that I'm saying there. Uh, behind him, they're going to work Anthony Williams in more. He's not redshirting this year. Uh, he's too talented to not be playing right away. He's someone that I think they're going to try to find more ways to involve him in the passing game here in the future. And, you know, he does some things really well uh, right now. There's other things he needs to work on. Um, he sometimes misses holes. He sometimes looks to um, try to, you know, instead of taking four or five yards, he tries to get more and ends up only gaining one or two, something that happens with transitions uh, he's used to being the fastest guy on the field and now he's everyone else is just as fast so you kind of got to learn some of the nuances but he's young you know he's only played in that three or four college games he's got like 15 carries under his belt he is your sort of obvious number two Eli needs a breather I think Anthony Williams will more and more as the season progresses we'll see those uh carries you know can get up to five six seven carries maybe a catch or two a game as his role increases and you know Gosh, next year, something like that, just projecting forward him and Elijah Collins, like that could be a really dynamic duo back there. And then you have Ladarius Jefferson, who uh, it should be noted. Uh, I don't think this was reported. I, I'm not sure why, but D'Antonio did bring him up uh, after the game and said he sort of um, 
Actually, he was asked about it, but he said, you know, Ladarius kind of had a decision to make and he didn't say specifically he wanted to transfer and we had to see, you know, this, that, and the other. He kind of just said, you know, he was at his four games and he had to figure out if he wanted to pack it in and redshirt uh, and, and, you know, end this season and enter himself in the transfer portal. Again, this is me sort of, he said this without specifically saying this. These aren't direct quotes, but this is what he said. Uh, and he had to figure out if he wanted to do that or if he wanted to stick it out here and try to make it work here. And to uh, Jefferson's, I guess, credit, if that's your kind of thing, um, he decided he wanted to be a part of this and wanted to stay at Michigan State and wanted to get better here and keep playing uh, for Michigan State. And we saw him used as the third down back. Uh, He was the two-minute drill back. I think he's just more experienced in terms of pass protection and can do a good job there. That's part of the reason he's back there. In those situations, he's also has good hands. Um, he hasn't had a ton of catches this year, but you remember that uh, play against Tulsa where he had that catch and run, did some really nice things in the open field there. Uh, I think he can be someone who can be an effective third down back used in that sort of bit role uh, and also can be a short yardage guy so long as uh, he's not running horizontally. And that was that fourth down play that got stopped when he was in there. Um, they ran outside zone, the stretch zone, uh, from the pistol, and I'm not sure when you have a 230-pound back why the call is that. Um, that was kind of the one play call I had a major issue with uh, in the Indiana game. But I think Ladarius Jefferson, in those short yardage situations, he's kind of a he's a big dude. Like he's I think 6'2", 230, 235, big, strong. Um, I think he can he can be an effective short yard short yardage guy. You know, he outweighs the other guys by 20, 30 pounds. Uh, and it's just bigger, you know, and can move some bodies. And I think that is a good role for him. Uh, a goal line type back, third down situations because he has good hands. He's going to hold up in pass protection because, uh, again, he's bigger and, and, you know, just has more experience doing that. And so uh, we'll see how things move forward with him if he does decide to stay at Michigan State after this season. That's always, you know, a question that comes up because the playing time, who knows how it plays out from here. I would imagine he might start losing some to Anthony Williams, but uh, he's sticking it out for now. And I think there's a role for him and I think he can fill it uh, pretty well as a, as a short yardage power kind of guy and, and work his way in that way. So that's kind of where the running back group is right now. I think Michigan State's in a good spot. I, I think they got a, a, a nice, diverse skill set, some power, some speed, some quickness. Everyone can catch, which is nice. They do a good job uh, pass protecting, even the younger guys. Anthony Williams is coming along. Eli's a good pass protector, uh, and, and Ladarius can do it too. So it, it's a nice versatile group with good skill sets kind of all around. I think they're in a good spot there and they're all redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, sophomore. So that's nice too, uh, as you sort of project into the future. So, all right, we will, um, talk about Brian Lewerke here in just a minute. I want to kind of mention some things that I think he's doing really well. And, uh, I'll do that here in just a minute. Guys, vivid seats, Make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Okay, so I said on yesterday's show that I was going to write about Brian Lewerke yesterday, and um, I wasn't able to just honestly because of semantics, like, 
post counts and things like that for the the Spartans wire job that I have. Um, but instead of that, I'm, I'm doing film room that should be out uh, by the time you listen to this, like a standard film room piece. And then I'm going to sort of break it off and do like a Brian Lewerke kind of specific one uh, later in the week. And I'm also going to do some defensive stuff uh, as well, because I know there's a lot of interest in that. But uh, one thing that I did want to talk about. So I, I spend, you know, if you follow me on Twitter at will underscore underscore Hunter one L two underscores, I will uh, after games while I'm rewatching and charting and marking down plays that I want to talk and write about. Uh, I will occasionally just make up GIFs real quick uh, and post them on Twitter, just some things that I think are interesting to get people you know, interested in talking, and, and people really like to share those, which is cool. And I, I posted a picture of a play that happened, just a screenshot of right before the snap, and in the video, it's really cool, and this will be in the Lewerke film room piece, but I just want to talk about it here as sort of a teaser, uh, if you will. Um Michigan State is, you know, third and two, I think it was, third and three, third and five, something like that, third and medium. And uh, they got trips to the left and lined up over the trips are three defensive backs and a linebacker and uh, two corners. The safety is t- uh, eight yards off the ball and the linebacker is kind of in the middle there. And uh, I'm watching this play and I hear like Brian Lewerke, I see Brian Lewerke walk up to the line of scrimmage and I hear him say, 47's coming, watch him. And he like points at 47. And I'm watching that. I'm like, did he just like, wait a second, what did he just say? And then the play goes and the guy blitzes and Lewerke throws right behind the blitz for an easy first down to Cody White, which A, was a really great design because Cody White was in the slot on the outside and cut under two rub routes basically and ran free for a wide open slot. It was a really great design from that aspect. But um, I screen cap that as he's pointing at the guy and I circle it and I'm rewatching this and like this guy's given absolutely no indication that he's blitzing or anything like that. I'm like, how in the hell did he know that? And so I screen capped it, circled the guy, explained what happened and put it on Twitter. And it was like really kind of, I was just saying like, I don't even know how this happened. <laughs> like, how did he figure this out? And so, uh, sometimes Twitter is an awful, terrible cesspool that we all should not be on. And then sometimes it's really cool because eventually, uh, this made enough rounds that it got to, uh, Dan France, former offensive lineman for Michigan state, Tyler, Con- Tyler O'Connor, who's quarterback uh, a couple of years ago, obviously. And then it also, uh, got to Joe Patrick, who was a, a guard at Michigan state from like 99 to 2001, somewhere in there. And so I was like, okay, um, some people who actually really know, because like, I know football a little bit. I like to say I know 1% of football. <laughs> like, there's a ton of football. I know a little bit, and I know I only know a little bit. And so I sent that out, and all they got back to me, and we're like, it somehow ended up on their timelines, and they're just like, yeah, just look at the safety. And like, that's the key there. And that's one thing that I've learned, and I just kind of forgot in this moment, Um that, you know, what you, a lot of what you want to know, what you can read from a defense, a lot of, you can find out a lot about a defense by looking at how many safeties there are, where they're lined up and who they're lined up over and how that sort of flows down from there. And so in this play, there's a single high safety, one safety high, but instead of playing in the middle, he's shaded all the way over this. There's trips on the left, a bunch of trips to the left. And what you have is two corners 
directly over receivers, a safety directly over receiver 10 yards back, and then a linebacker over receiver but kind of shaded inside, and the safety is directly behind the linebacker five yards. And so that apparently, when a, when a defensive back is lined up directly behind a linebacker, indicates blitz a lot of the time. It's basically he's going to take that linebacker's guy and the linebacker's going to blitz. And so like they're telling me this and then someone else uh, that I was talking with who used to play quarterback was like, yeah, that's something you see in film. And it's something that like if you're sitting in a film room just sort of reviewing it, it's very easy to see and spy. Like, yep, that's what's happening. But on the field, it's like a whole different thing. That's how you separate someone who can't play the position from someone who can, frankly, at that level. And it's not the hardest read, right? It's simple. It makes sense. There's a guy directly behind the other defender. doesn't make sense to have four guys covering three. One of them is going to be doing something different. He's going to be blitzing. Um, and so it's simple and it makes sense, but it's not easy is kind of the point of this. It's something that, you know, in that point, it's like fourth quarter, Michigan State's driving down on a big drive, third or fourth quarter, really important play. Like th- like all the pressure that's involved in that, like how tired Brian Lewerke was physically and mentally, probably got hit recently and, and that stuff hurts. You got to think about all this stuff and then you got to execute it and you really have like 10 seconds to sort of process all this stuff before the snap. It's just like sort of incredible to think about all the stuff that's going on and you have to recognize. And then it ends up just being that simple. You make the recognition, you tell your line, hey, he's coming, he comes, you throw right behind him to the wide open slant for like a 12-yard gain and a first down. And it's just like, yeah, that was so great. It was easy and it worked perfectly. And then there's just like all the stuff that goes into it, all the film that goes into recognizing that, knowing that tendency, being able to see it on the field easy enough, and then actually executing the play. And it's just like, I said this on Twitter, like sometimes I get up too quickly if I'm laying down and I get dizzy and tired. Like (laughs) I can't imagine having to make all these decisions and dissect all this stuff and do it at such a high level, um, play after play after play after play. Like that's really tough. And I, I just wanted to talk about that because I don't think we see that stuff as, as viewers. I, I know we don't. As fans, as as watchers of football, unless you're someone who is well-versed in that type of stuff, you're just not going to notice that thing. And so what looks like a really simple uh, 12-yard gain to a wide-open receiver, there's a hundred different things going into it. And a lot of it is pre-snap and really cerebral. And it's it goes underappreciated, I think. And um, Lewerke's missed some throws, certainly this year had some bad plays, had some bad decisions, um, but he is mentally just like processing the game at a really high level. I think he is a really smart player back there, and he's very calm and composed and sees a lot, uh, and does a re- like he just doesn't miss much. Like, yeah, he'll have a zone read where he'll, you know, he'll pull it instead of handing it off. Like, that happens. And that's sort of within the play, and that's a lot of that is getting used to running those types of plays live speed. Um, and Michigan State's doing it more and more. And really, the second half of the game, like he missed his own read um, early in the game, but then he had uh, three really great ones, like boom, 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 at the end of the game to help put the game away and help win it. So you could even see the progress within the game, and that stuff just takes reps. Um, but he's really processing the game mentally at a high level right now, and I think he's playing really good quarterback. Um, if he had consistently great footwork 
that would lead to consistently pinpoint accuracy. He would just be on a crazy other level right now, but he's playing really well. Um, and I think it's the best he's, he's played at Michigan state. Certainly I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but, uh, maybe he's not getting enough credit for how well he's playing, uh, right now. And I know we did some Lurky stuff yesterday, did some more Lurky stuff today. That was intentional because I just want to hammer that point home. And I wanted to use that play uh, as an example to to give you that makes sense, that is easy, it's understandable. And if you got lost at any point there, it'll be in the film room stuff so you can see it visually as well. Um, but just a really clear example of how Brian Lewerke is playing really good quarterback this season. Okay, so Stephen Brooks from 24-7 Sports is going to join us here in a minute. We talk about a bunch of stuff, uh, Indiana game, things to take away from it, things we can ignore, uh, the defense, uh, the defense railing. My mom, again, gets brought up. Uh, he makes a great metaphor with uh, a wound comparison that uh, I'll let him get to. And then we talk a little bit about Ohio State as well. So we'll do that here in just a minute. All right, welcome back to Locked on Spartans. Happy to be joined now for the first time in like a month. It's been a while. Stephen Brooks, 247sports.com, covers Michigan State for them. Uh, Stephen, how you doing? It's been good seeing you around the press stuff these past few uh, weeks here. Glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, glad to be back. Um, been been listening a ton lately and everything since the season's been going, so I'm, I'm glad to be back on here and uh, talking about some football with you, man. It's been good. And like you said, uh, catching up with you in person and all that, it's been a good time. So it is a, it is a little weird. I mean, we're more than a quarter way through the season now and all that. More than yeah. a third, I guess, uh, even. So, yeah, that's kind of tough to stomach, but we still got a long way to go. Yeah, five games through. It's like it already. It feels like it just started. But uh, we have a lot of things to talk about. I think a lot of interesting things came out of that Indiana game, and just with this team as a whole. Um, what was your just number one takeaway from that game? Was it more about the offense or the defensive performance? Like, what is your number one long term takeaway from that Indiana game? I think I think it's like what most people probably uh, felt, you know, that night. It's just that the offense, deep down, it is capable. You know, when when a lot of things go right, and uh, you know some of these veteran guys step up and, and play like seniors and play like veterans, um, that that at the end of the day they are capable of making something happen, especially when they need to. I think that was probably the most encouraging part. Um, if you're Michigan State, and look, that's what we said all along. I know it wasn't it wasn't beautiful all the way through, but that's that's what we were saying back in August and everything. Is look. They just got to be competent, you know, and capable. <laughs> and I thought that's what this was, you know. They, they stepped up at the right moment. Um, Brian Lewerke especially, I thought, was, was good uh, in clutch uh, opportunities and things like that. And so it's at least at least for now. I know it was Indiana and all that, but I think you walk away saying, all right, well, we at least have a sliver of hope that our offense might be able to get something done for us if we really need it. Because um, I don't think you're going to see a lot of days like that from this defense. No, I don't think you might not see another one like that the entire season. And I will say like Indiana's advanced numbers on defense are pretty good. They were 32nd, I think in SP plus uh, that game Northwestern, even going back a week, Northwestern's like 15th or something. And we saw what Wisconsin wasn't really able to get going against the Northwestern defense. So there are some real positive indicators for this offense Uh, about the defense. 
I talked a little bit of yesterday just how those types of quick perimeter plays put Michigan State in a bind, specifically how they run defense. What were you seeing Saturday night, and is there anything that you think we can take moving forward that is actually of concern? Um, you know, I think Indiana, you know, other teams have done this. I mean, we've seen Northwestern do it to a degree. Uh, not exactly the same way. They were really, uh, really just kept jabbing at the outside. Northwestern would hit you with sort of a lot of inside crosses and stuff. But for Indiana, it was, it was really quick, really far to the outside and make things happen out there one-on-one. And, I mean, that's the – structurally, that's a, that's a weakness of this defense. When you're, when you're playing quarters a lot and you're playing run first sort of as a, as a mindset, um, that flat area is going to open up. And then when you have one-on-one matchups, you know, anything can happen. If you got a guy in space, if you're not going to bring him down, he's going to make some plays. So um, I think we saw Indiana sort of execute that to the nth degree. You yeah. Know, they took that weakness and just, just – uh, you know, they they saw an open wound and just stuck their finger right in it and jabbed it around and twisted it around, <laughs> and did all that. You know, just got all up in the wound and made it real nasty. Honestly, they they sort of took it to the uh, to the extreme with all the the quick passes and everything. So, I mean, yeah, other people are going to do that. Uh, Ohio State has the has the athletes to do that and make it hurt. So that is concerning. I think. Um, you know, on the other hand, you have a track record. You know, at Michigan yeah. State of of defensive excellence and where you, you hope that this staff can put some stuff together where they're not going to get gashed the same way in uh, two weeks in a row. So I think, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's blind faith considering what we just saw, but I think the, the track record is there that you expect these guys to be able to put something together. That was a horrible, beautiful metaphor. I loved it. <laughs> Jabbing a finger into a wound. I've had a lot of people ask me this week, if Indiana just did this, Ohio State, they're not dumb they're going to try to do some of the same stuff and they should have better athletes. Like there's a lot of concern about that. One thing I will say, and and you can give me your thoughts on this. I thought Indiana's receivers blocked about as well as receivers are going to block. And not that Ohio state doesn't have capable receivers who are, who could block, but like Indiana has some big dudes out there who really did a good job. And then Josh Butler, your leading tackle man, I guess your best tackler from the corner position, I would think uh, gets hurt at some point. Do you think that just from a personnel standpoint, Ohio State, yeah, they're probably faster, but like it's tough to expect that type of repeat performance in terms of execution, right? Because Indiana just like perfectly executed that play every single time. Sure, sure. And it makes sense. I mean, I give, I, I tip my cap, uh, tip my cap all the way to, to Indiana staff because I mean, what are yeah. you going to, what do you want to do when you're facing that defense? Do you want to try and block Raekwon and Mike Panashuk <laughs> and run the ball? Or, you know, do you want to test Antoine Simmons and, and Kenny on the edge and guys like that? I mean, or do you want to have your receiver block the five, nine cornerback and Josiah Scott and hope you can get six yards that way? Yeah. It makes total sense. So, um, but yeah, I agree with you. They had some big dudes there. They're good blockers and they've kind of had that program wide for, for a while. Just yeah. To, um, mentality where they really have been good perimeter blockers there, but yeah, it makes total sense and, and it works. Um, maybe Ohio State's guys aren't as good as blockers, but I would venture to say they're better uh, with the ball in their hands, you know. So maybe what they lack in that initial block and push, maybe they make that first guy miss, and it's yeah. all moot at the end of the day anyway. You know, I think it's still <laughs> pretty concerning. Yeah, the old uh, couple ways to skin a cat, and I do think there is benefit to this kind of thing happening the week before Ohio State. Not that you ever want to see your defense get beat up, but you kind of have to have faith in this group, this staff, to be able to rebound from something like that. And better to have it 
happen against Indiana than a team like Ohio State that can not just hurt you, but like put you away with 40 plus points if you're making mistakes like that against them. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let me just say real quick, like psychology yeah, sure. wise, it, it might be the perfect mix. You know, I don't want to put that, put that hat on all the way and, and say I'm an expert, but I mean, you've got an offense that's finally maybe feeling good about itself. And now a defense that's kind of like, Hey, we bleed too. You know, we are mortal. Yeah. So we got to we got some stuff to figure out. And that might be the perfect mix uh, from a mindset standpoint, heading into a game like this. I just wanted to say that. Sure. And actually it's funny. I was, uh, I sat on yesterday's show. Uh, it was my mom's birthday and that I would call her. And I did call her. And while I was talking to her out of nowhere, she's like, you know what? I think it's good that that happened to the defense this week because then they All can right. sort of, yeah, refocus. And you know, I was like, you know, what, mom, like, I don't disagree with you. And just like, I was telling her like Joe Bocci, Kenny Willekes, Dowell, uh, Antoine said like all those guys, Panashuk, like they're super good at resiliency. Like, they're in terms of player leadership on that side of the ball, it's crazy good. And like, they are absolutely like, they were mad when they gave up seven points. Like they're not going to stand for what just happened. So, and I think sometimes that sort of stuff gets overplayed and overhyped, but with this group, like it's really a thing. Like they take huge pride in what they do and they are not going to be happy with how they performed this last week. No, yeah, you're totally right. And this this isn't a group that's going to get their confidence shaken. No. Um, they've been through a lot, and this is, that's not going to do it. Uh, even getting gashed by Ohio State, honestly, I don't think would do it. Um, they've got so much to lean on. They're not going to lose confidence. Uh, were they frustrated and maybe a little confused? Yeah, but uh, they're not going to lose confidence. And um, so, yeah, you and me, me and your mom are on the same page. <laughs> she's, probably, she's probably taking my spot on this podcast moving forward now that we share the same thoughts. So she, I'm going to enjoy just, this last time with you. <laughs> she just threw the take out there, and I was like, yes, I love it. She'll do that with – she's an old um, – she used to play and coach basketball, so she knows that a little bit more. Uh, and she'll she'll send me stuff during basketball season, which I always love. She got really into the season last year, which I was fired up about, and I hope it continues this year. Um, let's Dude, turn. She has to be a regular weekly guest uh, yeah, during basketball <laughs> for your film breakdowns. I'll see if I can get her on. I'm not sure. She's a little shy, um, but I'll see if I can. Uh, um, last thing here, turning the page just a little to Ohio State. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw that spread? Because it opened at 17, and usually like. With spreads, they open offshore and then the number goes crazy. The bets come in and then the big casinos set their lines off of that. And what happened was the first book opened at 17 and it raced up to like 22 and then everyone opened right around 21 and a half. So it was a crazy couple of hours for that. What was your reaction when you were seeing that play out? Yeah, it seemed, I mean, uh, the more I, the more time fast, I can, I can understand it all. Um, it just initially though, just getting it up to 20 just did not feel right. I mean, cause yeah. to me, a 20 point spread, like that's a, that's like a Rutgers game. That's a, that's like a good Western <laughs> Michigan team, you know, like that's not a potential, you know, big 10 uh, contenders going at it. So yeah. it just, it just didn't feel right. But then I mean, at the end of the day, they just went on the road and beat Nebraska by a hundred. And, you know, I, I think Nebraska, everyone's realizing isn't all that, but uh, you know, now they'll be at home against Michigan state and, and, you know, I'm sure the betters probably don't love MSU, so for the most part, in terms of uh, their their trends this year and all that. So, I understand it. It just feels weird though, because I think people assume it'll be a. I don't. Know, I think most people assume there'll be at least a competitive game for a while. Yeah, I don't. I don't think a lot of people are expecting this all uh, out and out bloodbath. So yeah, yeah it was weird at first. It's um, 
that's a huge number. Like it's it's like Arkansas San Jose State is an upset that happened this year. And that was kind of like, I think it was like 24 or something like that was the spread there. Like it's getting into that territory, like mid-level, mid-major versus solid power five team, which is like, just seems absurd. But I think like you said, public perception is as high on Ohio State as it can get. And right now it's still pretty low on Michigan State. They're sort of lurking underneath the surface but like when you see when i saw that number i was like wow i thought you know 14 to 17 somewhere in there and then it opens 17 and jumps to the 20s uh that was that was pretty crazy so we'll see i'll have more on that uh here's a tease uh later in the week when i do analyzing the spread so uh definitely an interesting number for sure he's stephen brooks 24 7 sports.com covers all things michigan state for them does a great job there as we all know does a great job on the show does drive with jack does some tv stuff you're always you're everywhere and you're always doing a good job. I'm just so proud of you, Stephen. <laughs> oh man, thank you, thank you. That means just, a lot. I always uh, yeah. I try to do what I can here. <laughs> I see you I on like TV and stuff. I like different muscles, man. I I, I yeah. to type so much and you know my oh, written dude. work uh, is so demanding and there's so, there's just so much to honestly crank out as you know. I mean on a given day and all that. So I always like uh like talking, like looking cute on TV and doing all that and stretching those <laughs> different muscles. It's good. Well, you're doing a good job. I know you're going to keep doing it. Uh, and I look forward to having you back on in a few weeks. All right. All right. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Steven for joining the show. Really great stuff there. That was a fun conversation with him. And yeah, I'm going to try to convince my mom. I really am to come on the show during basketball season to give us some takes because she, she really does know basketball. She used to coach it. Um, used to play it when she was younger, coached to the high school level and did like, I forget what they won, but like the old version of like the Detroit Catholic league, I don't know what it was years ago, but she was a good coach. Uh, she had good teams. She knows what she's talking about and she's really funny. So, uh, I will do my best to convince her to come on during basketball season. We'll see, uh, how that goes. Thanks so much for listening to today's show tomorrow. Sheehan, uh, is on with us. I am hoping for the entire show. We'll see how things shake out. Uh, he's been out, uh, I, I don't want to say exactly where or what he was doing, but he's been out of the uh, the area, away from the ability to record the last few days here. Uh, just trying to recover, I think, mentally from that Michigan State-Indiana game. It, it, it wears on him. But he'll be back tomorrow, and I think we'll do the full show. We'll do what is uh, Matt panicking about, his aneurysm moment of the week. I'm sure there's plenty of things he needs to get off his chest, and then I will inevitably talk him back off the ledge, and he'll be locked in on 10-win Michigan State once again. So that's the plan for tomorrow's show. Thanks so much for joining us. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We will see you tomorrow.